0: Another, another world, world another, another time.
1: time, in the Age of Wonder. You are listening to... Trial by Stone.
0: Trial by Stone! Dea, tea, dera, tea. Your vital essence of the Dark
1: Crystal. Kida, kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Oru garu, how
0: Interesting. Dea! Dea! I feel the song of Thra in my heart. Now go, you heroes of Thra!
1: Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. This is the Dark Crystal podcast. I'm your host Philip, and I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in as we chat about all things Dark Crystal. And for this episode, is a special one because we got a very special guest. And that is uh, Daniel Wallace, who is the author of a new book that's just come out called Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance Inside the Epic Return to Thra, uh, which is essentially like a behind the scenes sort of making of book of, of course, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And, um, not only that, but there is a lot of artwork, um, that is also lots of images and behind the scenes concept work from Brian Froud. Really get to see just the work, um, that everyone did to, to make the show essentially. So, uh, yeah, so it's just come out and I just wanted to thank, um, the people at Inside Editions, uh, for providing myself and as well as my, um, co-hosts of, uh, the podcast, Ethan and Jamie, um, uh, copies the book. So we're able to read it in advance. And we'll definitely be talking about the book and in future uh, shows for Trial by Stone. So I just want to uh, thank Insight for that. Yeah, and, and overall, like you know, I I've read the whole book, and um, just my thoughts. I, I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. There are some things like inside the book, um, that was like really interesting to know. You know, with different ideas and and just sort of how the show was sort of made because you know with Age of Resistance it's been it was essentially like 14 years that they've been developing um, the show and it was in different incarnations from the animated series to what we got um, with the Netflix series so it was overall really fantastic I really enjoyed it Um, I've actually started reading it um, the second time so just getting through through it again Um, but yeah there was a lot of um, great things from that book and um, yeah it was just a great sort of making of book. So Daniel, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Uh,
0: Thank you for having me on the show. I was actually hoping that you were going to call me to be on the podcast because uh, I've been uh, listening to all your back episodes since I got this assignment. I was like, Oh my God, like when I got the assignment, I was like really excited, you know, and I rewatched the Dark Crystal and stuff because it's always been a favorite of mine. But then I was like wanting more Dark Crystal and I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a podcast. And this <laughs> is the first thing I immediately subscribed before I think before the book was announced. So that was the uh, that was my spoiler, I guess.
1: That's so awesome to hear. I mean, that that is something that I have heard a lot of listeners that have sort of been you know, discovering the podcast. I mean, because of the show but also going back and listening to all the, um, old episodes. So I'm really hoping that uh, the old shows have really held up. All right. Um, you know, you know been doing it for, <laughs> for, for, five years. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just been sort of like an incredible sort of, um, you know, time. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, a, that's exactly what's so cool about it is because you have been doing it for five years. So going back and, and, uh, versus a podcast that just kind of sprung into existence, you know, after age of resistance came out, uh, it's a little bit more opportunistic, but I mean, you got, you have the chops (laughs) as being the authentic. That was, what was so cool is like, um, you know, all these eras in which there was no age of resistance at all. And, and, uh, wasn't even a sequel film and all these other, like these other projects and it, it, and it's, yeah, I love the Dark Crystal, and, and I've always loved it, but it's always been, um, you know, unlike Star Wars, which has always just been this, you know, lingua franca for, like, basically everybody in, in um, you know, world society, uh, the Dark Crystal has always remained sort of a, a niche thing. Um, and even with the Age of Resistance, it's expanded its appeal, but it's, it's not like you're going to go to Target and see a giant, you know, gelfling display or something like that you know because it it has a little bit more specialized appeal and uh yeah and i think it's you know people like this podcast you know this podcast is is one example of how that torch gets carried um you know even during the dark times
1: oh yeah yeah especially i mean i mean even during the i mean the early years when i when i started the podcast i mean for any new listeners i mean when i started it it was around a time when um, when Joe's first sort of prequel book got, got sort of got announced, like he won the author quest, and then really from that was really what sprung the idea of doing a podcast about the Dark Crystal, because I thought, well, at least Dark Crystal is going to come back in a way. Um, but I mean, never imagined that we would be where we are today, you know, with a 10 episode prequel series on top of it. It was (laughs) just, um, it's so exciting. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: I remember I was, I actually, I was downloading the episodes and I was like, Uh, I was waiting for that moment like I was listening to your old episodes once I started around Christmas I think I started listening and then I was like waiting for like the episode when you found that that it was greenlit, and I was like oh this is gonna be so good
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah no it was definitely one of my one of my highlights like of the show doing that and I think um I think there was one time I actually did like a Facebook live that happened I think when I woke up and I think like half an hour late, I'm like, I got to do this Facebook live, you know, talk about this show. I'm like, what is going on? It it was, um, yeah, it was (laughs) such a surreal, that was such a surreal day. Um, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and I mean, and, and, and as somebody who, because I've worked on a lot of other things besides dark crystal, I've, I've done a lot of star Wars. I I've done Superman and Batman and, uh, a lot of DC and Marvel, I've been Spider-Man and and Avengers stuff and um, the books that I've written and uh, Ghostbusters and uh, Warcraft and uh, Pacific Rim and um, a whole bunch of stuff that I've worked on. And and occasionally you work on something where you're really excited for the new movie that's coming out or the new project that's coming out. And then it ends up being kind of like Eh, like it's okay, you know, and then and then for this one to come out, and it really like even when I read the scripts, I was like, Oh, this is gonna be really good. And then I actually watched it and filmed and it. It's like, it's so good, it's like not even a um, uh, you know, a, a half hearted sort of like, eh, Okay, that was fine. It was like, That was great, you know, it's it's just a great television show, the you know, dramatic and and uh. From a technical standpoint, of course, it's it's impeccable, but just from a, a writing and, and performance and dramatic standpoint, it's a really engaging sort of, you know, Game of Thronesy type of show and it's and it's uh it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's just um, yeah, just the show itself is just been incredible. It's just the amount of work that's been put in towards the show. And there was never like any moments where it just felt slow or just felt like ah, oh, you know, not much is happening. Like, like I mean, even for myself, like I I, I re- like I've wa- been watching you know episodes of the show. Of course, as always, you know, doing preparing <laughs> doing episodes for the podcast to talk about the episodes. And recently, I mean, uh, as of this recording, I mean, I uh, was watching episode seven. Um, to prepare, to record, you know, in a couple of days' time. I know a lot of people said that, you know, that seemed like the feel episode, but at the same time for me, I'm just like, I needed that breathing space. I thought it was like the most breathing space of all the other shows just because the first six, it just builds up and builds up and just so much is happening, you know, between all the d- different- wait what, ha-
0: what ha- wait, what happened in episode seven? I can't remember which one it was.
1: So episode seven was the one uh, where we get introduced to the Heretic and um, the Wanderer. And we get the puppet show.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, it. that was a, I loved that episode. Yeah. I thought that was perfect. You know, that we actually get to that point and then, um, it, it, there's less action in that episode, but I, I also think that the introduction of the heretic and the wanderer is a completely fascinating exploration of like lore, uh, not the character, lore, but like, you know, the, 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 um, the show's lore, uh, that, um, there's so many examples and and as somebody who kind of like, I, I usually like that. I like it when a, a fictional setting is well realized, like it has sort of internal rules that kind of make sense in that context. And I always really respect it when a new writer comes onto a, a fictional universe and they're like, okay, well, how does this world operate? You know, like what are the rules of magic or, you know, what are the rules of, of so-and-so and, and, and okay. So. I'm not going to ignore those. I'm actually going to use those. But is there a way I can push them in a way that's very surprising? And and this show kept doing that. And I was like, that's exactly how I, I love it. You know, sometimes you get a new writer on like a property and they just ignore all the established rules and they just throw it out. And they're like, oh, well, whatever, you know, And it's like, oh, boo, you know, you should you should try to, you know, honor the setting. And uh, that was one of the ways like what if. You had a, you know, two halves of the same whole and they weren't at odds with each other. You know, that was fascinating. And then the other bit that I thought was so fascinating was, um, you know, no spoilers, but sort of how the archer, um, his story ends. I was like, oh, of course. Like, I realized it like because I read the scripts first, obviously, um, before I saw the show. But but I remember reading it and just being like, wait, wait, wait. Oh my God, he's not going to. And then I read, Oh, it, that's a perfect, if you can craft a moment in a story where the audience realizes what's going to happen a half a beat before it actually happens, that's the best. It's like the most satisfying thing because you're like, I figured it out, but I also wasn't, <laughs> you know, I, I, I really didn't because it just basically happened simultaneously. And, uh, yeah, it's such a, uh, it's such a respectful, um, exploration of of the mythos and and that is that's 100 my jam
1: and that's the thing like yeah the show definitely like really like expanded on on the mythology of the dark crystal in just ways that you know it, it, they just never had a chance to explore like with the original film so this was just, you know such a fantastic show overall i guess yeah it was fantastic that, i mean you got a chance to you know got you got to write um the making of with the dark crystal age of resistance and I guess, you know, I would like to know, like, I mean, how did you get involved, um, with the book where, where in the process, what stage that the show was in that you were brought on board, um, to, to write the book about, um, the dark crystal age of resistance, um, inside the epic return to Thra.
0: Yeah, actually. um, So, yeah, that's the title. It's uh, uh, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance Inside the Epic Return to Thra. If people want to look it up uh, on Amazon or wherever, Um, it's published by Insight Editions. um, So you can find it on their website as well. But um, it is the official behind the scenes making of slash art of. So it's kind of it's kind of both as in it's a great book if you really like art. And you want to see a lot of photos and you want to see a lot of concept art and, and things like that. But it's also a great book if you want to know how movies get made. Um, but um, so for me, um, I have been uh, writing these types of books for a long time, uh, starting back in the 90s uh, when I, I mostly started doing Star Wars books because I was I was very into into Star Wars as a fan and all of the almost every property. Yeah, I, I can't even think of a property that I, I've worked on that uh, I haven't been a fan of. Um, has been, uh, you know, that because I kind of grew up with comic books and uh, in the '80s, and and like uh, Dark Crystal was there, Star Wars, and Ghostbusters, and and these are all books that I, I've written, um, and uh, some of, a lot of them actually have been for this particular publisher, which is Inside Editions, which they do. Um, Really uh, uh, wonderful coffee table sort of hardcover art uh, books uh, for popular media properties, a lot of them. And um, so this wasn't the first book I had written for this publisher, but it was the first Dark Crystal book that I had. it. And uh, it was about last Christmas that I got a call from the editor uh, at Inside Editions that I work with. And he was like, you know you know anything about the dark crystal i was like are you kidding you know like this is i love it and uh, and i and he was like um you know because you know henson is looking for somebody to work on the official and i had heard about the show already um uh and uh and i was like so i was so i would have been like really like heartbroken if i didn't get the assignment so i was like I'm a huge fan. You know, I saw the original movie in theaters and, uh, you know, and, uh, and I, I said, uh, when I was, um, you know, in like fifth grade, I had a Muppet show lunchbox. <laughs> that was my, that was my, my, uh, my cred, but yeah, I basically grew up on this. I think Dark Crystal came out when I was in like, you know, fifth or sixth grade or something like that. Um, and, uh, And I and I was really hoping that that I get selected for it. And and, uh, fortunately, I was. And this was right around Christmas. So around Christmas of last year, um, so 2018, um, I got all the scripts um, and I just sat down over Christmas holiday. I sat down and read all of them. And sometimes when you when you work on a book and you read a, a script for a movie, sometimes it's really hard to know. People would be like, oh, so is it going to be good? And you're like, I don't know, you know, because sometimes the script isn't enough. Like a script could be kind of like limp on the page. But then when it's actually, you know, filmed and it's acted and, you know, you see the actual final product, it could be it could be really exciting. Um but this is one of the very rare occasions where I read the script and I was like, this is going to be great. (laughs) The scripts were so engaging. Like they're just so, um, you know, every time I finished one, I was like, no, are you kidding? And then I would open up the next one and, and yeah, I I read all of them. Like, you know, there, there, there's just such great hooks in it. Um, and then, so yeah, that was, uh, early, well, that was around Christmas. And so, uh, January, I started reaching out to the um, the cast and crew. Um, so the cast meaning mostly puppeteers, uh, and then crew being everybody. So everybody at Henson, uh, the performers, uh, the the uh, you know the production designer, the art designer, the set decorator. Um, you know the people who built the puppets, the people who, who put the animatronics into the puppets, the visual effects artists, and all that. I all told, I probably interviewed like sixty different people for this book, and it was a lot of interviews. But um, it was a huge production, so um, we needed to have that perspective.
1: So you you said about yeah, like you started looking at the scripts back back in around what well, Christmas uh, last last year, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I started reading them over, over that holiday break um, and it was just a, a you know, kind of a, a really fun thing to dig into around that time.
1: And, and so I guess, you know, I mean, this was probably back at the time where I think um, they were basically in post-production um, for the show. So was it something that uh, like that worked best, you know, when, when, when starting like with writing the book, like during the when they got you on board during the post-production rather than like earlier? You know, during the pre-production or even during the production of the show, with writing a book, or it didn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I I think it usually works better to have it later in the process because they've nailed things down a little bit more. And there's other books that I've written that have been similar to you know behind the scenes for movies and so on. And usually it's it's once they've wrapped shooting because a lot can actually happen during shooting. And if you start to write a making of book not only are you, and you do it during production of the show itself, um, maybe on the one hand you could, uh, you could go on set or something like that, but, um, a lot might change. Uh, and then you're kind of locking yourself out of the post-production, uh, timetable. Um, so, and usually you don't have as much time to write these books as you want. Um, so in this case I had a few months I think to, to do it. Um, and so um, it was the film he had wrapped, but they were they were definitely in, in post production. So when I was talking to like the visual effects artists at like d who did some of the, the CGI touch ups and so on, they were really busy and hard at work and they hadn't even come close to finishing what they were working on at that point. But when I talked to like the puppeteers and, and the, um, the animatronics people, they had already sort of wrapped
1: yeah so i guess yeah because with the show wrapping that they they sort of definitely had like a lot more time to sort of you know like think about the whole experience as a whole i think yeah you know we have chatting to you we're doing interviews and stuff yeah no no we, we, yeah which is which is really cool so i guess you you know you had quite a like a lot of access with writing the book you know with interviews and and probably are but like like resources like you know looking at the scripts or that sort of thing. What, were, what, what was sort of like the most challenging thing about, like with writing the dark, you know, with the book?
0: I think just trying to get the, the tone right. I, I think when I was originally kind of doing it, I was I was thinking maybe it could be more like a, a lore repository or something like that. Like I remember like writing uh, up a first draft that was very, you know, kind of describing all the, the Skeksis and all the creatures and stuff uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, like the animals of Thra and that a little bit more from like a if as if I were writing the Age of Resistance encyclopedia, <laughs> which which I wasn't doing. I was actually writing the behind the scenes book. So um I kind of like had to kind of scrap that. Like, I, I don't know why I went so far down that road, but it just seemed like, oh, yeah, this is really interesting. And then it was like, no, no, no we need to understand a little bit more about the story of how this all came to be. Um, and the story of how it came to be is actually really fascinating because the show um, wouldn't have been possible had uh, the Jim Henson company not continued pushing for other projects. And among those, you, as you know, and most people who listen to this podcast probably know, um, there was going to be a sequel film that went through a lot of different iterations. Uh, and then at some point they had developed an animated series for kids. And they were going to do an animated series, and that kind of fell aside. And then, um, you know, this was just the latest of the the iterations uh, to bring this TV show and pitch it to Netflix executives. Uh, and this, this is the one that landed, which I think is great because, it, you know, it's such a great show. But, um, the, the, you know, it was such a long slog uh, to get it actually green-lighted and produced. And then once it was produced, they were like, no, we're going to do it with puppets. You know, we're not going to do CGI. And so it was finding the types of specialists who can actually build and perform at this level of puppeteering, uh, which is a tough thing. Like, it's, it's actually harder in 2018, you know, when they're shooting than it was in in 1982. You know, there are fewer people in this field. Um, it's easier in the sense that you can do a little bit more with animatronics and so on. But um, the art of puppetry is um, it's more of a specialty art at this point because back in the day, Star Crystal was made. There really wasn't any CGI at all. So if you wanted to do a special effect, it had to be a puppet or it had to be stop motion, basically um and uh and they did puppetry but um to recreate that now it's a it's a it's a it's a tricky art
1: yeah absolutely and and it's something i mean very similar in a way like with star wars like with the original trilogy with a lot of the creatures i mean i mean we get with yoda who was a puppet or like um like with the adats you know they're all pretty much like stop motion for, for example so yeah very um old school really old school techniques it really yeah. is yeah no,
0: i mean um, um, here's an example if uh, anybody hasn't
1: seen the movie willow is a
0: fantasy film from i think 1988 um and it's a good example of this type of thing where we have different types of special effects um in that film there's a, a moment where there's a dragon a two-headed dragon that sort of um menaces the heroes and it's done with stop motion so sort of that herky-jerky Ray Harryhausen type of animation. And then later in the film, there's a moment where um, a magic spell is cast and, and this um, you know, woman transforms into a tiger and, a, and an ostrich and so on. And she sort of stretches into these shapes. And it's recognizable as CGI morphing technology, which at the time was very new. Uh, And is now kind of like, oh, yeah, obviously that's what that is. Uh, But that's sort of as we started to tip over into this new set of tools. Um, So uh, there is certainly the case to be made that, you know, Age of Resistance could have gone with the new set of tools because, you know, in a lot of ways, CGI can be more realistic. I've seen a lot of great CGI work, but um, they wanted to make it consistent. Um, And... In my experience, watching the show, when I saw episode one, at first you're a little bit like, yeah, I can kind of tell that these are puppets. But then by episode two or three, I forgot Um, because I had already bought into the uh, the idea of the medium. And it'd be like if you saw an animated movie, like let's say they did an animated version of, you know, I don't know, the Avengers or something like that. Which they probably have. Um, but like if you were used to seeing something, um, a movie as live action, and then you saw the animated version, at first it might be like, Oh, weird. Look at how they captured this character. But by, you know, probably 15 minutes in, you'd forget it because you would already have your brain would have accepted the aesthetic and you'd just be looking at the story. And for me with um with this show, it it happened very, very quickly. Um, that, um, and it's a kind of, it's a kind of illusion of audience and, and creator that you enter into. And I always like to always to, if somebody's like critical of like a special effect or something like that, it's always like, yeah, but imagine if you were seeing it live on stage, like imagine you were seeing this live on stage, if you were seeing a show or a movie live on stage, and it was about a King fighting a dragon and the dragon sort of like pushed his face in from, stage left and you know you'd be like you wouldn't be like oh that's fake well obviously it's fake you know you'd be but you'd be like oh okay it's a dragon you know or if if he was going to his castle and the castle was painted um and it was the backdrop uh to the set you wouldn't be like ah that's not a real castle like well of course it's not a real castle it's just painted on the set like what do you what do you want him to do and you would by sitting in the theater you would understand that you know, there's a certain um, suspension of disbelief that's expected of you, the audience member, um, and everybody gets that. But then, when you are sitting in the movie theater, sometimes I feel like you know people forget that and they like expect it to be super, you know, CGI, uh, immersive, realistic, and and uh, it's it's all an illusion. The whole filmmaking or, or you know TV making, it, it's all it's all tricks. You know, you have to kind of buy you, the audience has to buy into it uh, just as much as, you know, the filmmaker is they You have to meet them halfway. Um, and if you do that with age of resistance, then uh, very quickly, you, you just forget uh, about the puppetry of it. And you just get really immersed with the characters as characters. Um, and, and, and then it's, it's so much fun, you know? Um, and even if you do appreciate the art of the puppetry because there's so much moments where you're like wait how did they do that and you can do those two things at the same time
1: yeah it, i mean it's just so incredible like you know we're we've going back to puppets because i mean that was a thing that originally like they sort of pitched as sort of an animated series which i know you know for some fans is like well, why would you pitch it that way you know why not as puppets like in the first place um but i can i could probably understand like at the time that when they were trying to you know make the power of the dark crystal sequel you know live action and i think they wanted to get stories or you know lots of shows sort of happening with it and so i could sort of understand like at the time around that mid-2000s when cgi was sort of a bit prevalent that they were thinking well you know we think that they they could only tell this story like you know as a cgi animated series and i mean like we had we had seen examples of that i mean especially with star wars um i know with with star wars the clone wars i remember when, when that came out in 2008 i know that took a lot of fans a lot of time to adjust you know going into that cgi animation you know format for the for the show but i know like over time um like with the clone wars I mean, again, it's one, one of my favorite sort of animated shows. But over time, I mean, with the style, but also the storytelling got so much better and better, like each season. Don't think too much about the animation or anything, that sort of stuff. I'm just, you know, following the story of the characters. And that's something I felt like we really got um, with Age of Resistance was, you know, they would be, you know, being all puppets, but it's like, you know, once you're in like episode two and onwards in, or even, you know, for me, early, much earlier that you just completely forget that's all puppets uh, and I just see, just see them all as creatures. So it's just, um, yeah, yeah. Just really incredible stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, I think my point of view on these kind of things is like, um, I, you know, I care less about the medium in which they're doing it, whether it's stop motion, uh, cause there's a great stop motion still being done today, you know, like, uh, you know, like a nightmare before Christmas kind of stuff or like the Aardman, Animation or or you know there 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 are examples of that or if it's puppetry or if it's CGI um like I don't really care so much about the medium as much as as I care about like the the basic stuff like design you know like does the character look interesting you know did they they come up with an interesting look um did they have they have they designed the world well um is the story interesting. And that's uh, as I was working on this book, that's really where where it came to to fruition, because, you know, I interviewed um, the director, Louis Leterrier um, and like Lisa Henson at the Henson Company and uh, and Brian Froud, uh, who, of course, worked on the original film and was responsible for basically the entire look of the inhabitants of Thra in the world of Thra And I spoke with all those people uh, among with dozens uh, of of other people and uh, about how this was going to come to be. And that was really the um, you know, that's the that's the rewarding part is is that it's more than just the medium. Um, I, I think it's the show is getting attention a little bit because it's a puppet show. In 2019, a puppet show is kind of what you know it's a little bit weird but it but it's like it, it it's that's the least interesting thing well i don't know it's kind of interesting but it's also like um as a story that might be the least interesting thing about it the, the really fascinating thing that, that i think you know people will respond to you know decades from now is the characters and the stakes and the drama and the performances and. Uh, you know, it's just such a great, um, such a great drama that plays out in completely unexpected ways over 10 episodes.
1: You know, it's a great show. So like, I mean, with writing the book, I mean, you, you got a chance to interview with a lot of people, like, was there sort of like any of your highlights, like with writing the book, like, you know, with, you know, a favorite interview or just a favorite moment, like with, um, with writing, um, the making of for the book.
0: I mean, it was just such a, it was such a privilege to get to talk to people like Brian Froud, you know, like he is um, other than uh, obviously the late Jim Henson. um, He is probably number two in, in terms of what makes the dark crystal, the dark crystal, you know, this was his look. It was his designs. He, uh, he's so responsible for everything on here. And, 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 and he's very serious about it. Like I remember I interviewed him twice, I think. And, and, uh, and, you know, he's very opinionated, you know, he's like, Nope, it's gotta be this way. You know, he, and, and, and he's, he's so passionate about it. And, um, and, uh, a little bit like kind of my way or the highway, but in the, in the best way, you know, like he's literally the designer of this. So like, if he was seeing some designs that weren't, um, fulfilling what he thought the world, of Thra would be, he'd, he'd tell him to redo it. And, uh, and that's probably how it should be. I mean, this is the godfather of the, of the dark crystal. Uh, you know, he is the and and he's literally the designer. And so and and so to have him uh, design all these things. My favorite part of talking to Brian Frown was um, in the final episode uh, when the battle of stone in the wood happens. Um, you remember, the Skeksis are wearing battle armor, and and, and they like activate these like levers and these like arms pop up and there's fins and there's knives and there's boomerangs and all these crazy things are coming up from the armor. And and that was all Brian Froud. He had, he had designed, there's a, you know, he in the book, there's a whole recollection as to how he had come up with this. He had come up with it years before. um has an idea for a different project, and it might have been the animated series or something like that. But he was so he was so taken with the idea that they would have this armor. And and uh, it doesn't necessarily come through in the show when you watch it, but his thought was because the Mystics have four arms, but the Skeksis have four arms too. You see it with the Hunter. Um, but the other Skeksis are, are believed to uh, have a pair of arms that are kind of atrophied because they don't really use them uh but Brian was like well what if they had those arms under the armor shell and then they could um while they're holding swords and stuff they could use a second pair of arms to activate levers and buttons and so on and that's why that's how all the, those things work um and it was just so he was so like like proud of this completely insane um And and it's the kind of idea that wouldn't have come up like if I were trying to come up with something, I wouldn't have thought of that. And I think Lisa Henson said something basically it was the same was like, you know, nobody would have come up with that idea of, uh, you know, shell armor that the Skeksis wear on their backs. And then they, they pull it with their vestigial arms and and levers, you know, uh, arms pop up, and then a boomerang shoots out of it. Like <laughs> it's crazy, you know. And the, but it's so much fun to watch it. It's like it, it's nuts. But that was one of my favorite. Just uh, hearing him hold forth on the, uh, you know, what makes thrà thrà was such a, a privilege.
1: And and it's just, I mean, it's still like a sort of a continuing sort of legacy for the Frouds. With Wendy and and Brian when they were involved in the original film and also with Age of Resistance, but they're sort of able to sort of um, pass the torch on to Toby Froud, which is which is really great to sort of continue the Froud legacy to have the Frouds you know still involved with Dark Crystal projects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Toby, yeah, yeah.
0: 100 percent. So the book has um, has Brian Froud um, and Wendy uh, Frout and, and Toby fraud. I I interviewed all three, um, and, and pretty much almost everybody with their, um, uh, you know, God, there's so many people and it, but it was so fascinating when you're working on a book like this, um, and a production like this, uh, the, the set decorator is almost as important. Like, well, how did they come up with that stuff? And, and the production designer, the concept artists or, um, the uh, there will be people in charge of uh sculpting puppets but then there will be people in charge of putting the animatronics and radio controlled mechanisms in the puppets and then there will be people in charge of doing the hair for the puppets just the hair you know and they have a completely different uh take on uh their field of expertise and these are some of the best people in the world um you know, when they had to find enough puppeteers for this, they, um, like I was saying earlier, it's it's more of a specialty field than it was uh, previously. You know, it used to be able to find more work for, for puppets because you had to. You know, if somebody wanted to have a crazy character, they would build a puppet um, in the 80s. And now um, you could probably just do it with, you know, for a commercial or something like that. Now you could probably just do it with CGI. And um, so there's fewer people. So they had a gigantic uh, call to find enough Puppeteers, um, And then the people that responded and, and were hired, especially the people who, who did the lead roles, you know, like Rian and, and Hop and, and Brea and Deet, um, they're, you know, it, they're the best. Um, and it's just so fascinating. Oh, and Kevin Clash, of course. Uh, Kevin Clash was the um, he's the person who, who, did, who did Elmo uh, on Sesame Street, but he's also the lead puppeteer. Uh, he's featured pretty heavily in the book and he did, uh, Agra and the general, and he also did the Grunax, you know, those two, uh, uh servants that the scientist has in his lab, they have their mouths stitched up. Um, but he was, he was the head uh, of the puppeteering department, but these are literally, you know, this is the guy who did Elmo and, and Sesame street and that, I mean, these are the best people in the world. Um, and just to talk to people like that is just, it's fascinating. <laughs> How did I get so lucky, you know?
1: You know, with writing the book, I mean, obviously, like, you know, you had so many interviews that you were able to sort of, um, was that a bit of a challenge trying to, like, condense it all, like, in into the book? Like, was there sort of moments uh, from the book that you would like to, to incorporate more of, uh, you know, the... Wanted to tell more like of certain scenes, like or certain you know aspects with the making of with the book.
0: Yeah, I think it was actually the opposite. I think I think when I turned in like the first version,
1: I I said earlier was a little bit more
0: encyclopedic, and then I completely redid it, and then um, I had another version that was closer, but it wasn't. It didn't get into as much detail as perhaps it needed to um and so i ended up continually expanding it um because i kind of thought it would come in around like a certain word count you know and it ended up being way over that but it needed to because we had to get into a lot more detail uh for example um you know if you've seen the show you've seen in the last episode there's a battle of stone in the wood and there's a whole sequence where there's explosions going off, and, and all the performers are, are you know uh, reacting amid explosions and and smoke and, and loud noises and and originally I had nothing on that and and particularly my editor was like there's no um, there's no real sense of an ending here um, and then I went back and I re-interviewed like you know a whole ton of people including Kevin Clash um, how did that whole sequence come to be. Um, and yeah, they had the whole set and they had these like little things, uh, planted underground that would shoot dirt and shredded bits of cork up in the air to, you know, simulate the explosions and, and, and they, the, the puppeteers who were performing were just completely exhausted and completely covered in dirt. Even the Skeksis, they would, they would like, um, have a break and they'd, they'd climb out of their Skeksis costumes, which completely cover them and they would just have, they would be covered in dirt. Somehow the dirt had like <laughs> made its way through somehow and they were covered in dirt and they were so hot and it was like the summer and, and so on. And it was like, it was like the, uh, the characters were going through a war, but the, uh, the performers were also like going through their own, like little bit of a, you know, battle of Normandy kind of uh, experience. And, and it was just, it was such a, a, It was so fun to just talk about that bit because it's such a a fun sequence and uh, um, it's such a great capstone to the initial ten-episode run.
1: And I think that was like the cool thing that, like, you you, you were able to write, you know, the full story. Like, it wasn't like there wasn't too much that was sort of like left out. You were able to talk about sort of like the big key moments within the show. And so, and I mean, like. Because, I mean, that's the thing, because you worked on this book before, you know, of course, before the show has come out, um, did, did it sort of impacted like your experience of, of watching the show or do, because you've been doing, you know, writing the book, doing the research and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. It's always interesting to, when you know what's coming up to like, see, and, and for, um, unlike on some like movie scripts that I've read, um, the scripts that I read for the episodes were almost bang on for the, for the final one. So I I think I read pretty much the final script. So there were very few surprises. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it it is, there are so many moments in the show where, um, I, I almost wish that I had just seen them with, like I could have wiped my memory before watching the show because I knew it was coming up. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. And then, you know, of course it was, but it was also like if I didn't know that was going to happen it would have blown my mind, you know. And like the uh, like the Archer and how that kind of plays out, that was definitely one of them. Oh, the other one that um, I, I and this is where I was uh, when I read the first alright, so here's two moments that uh, if everybody's seen the the show you, you might appreciate, but I remember because, like I said, I've, re- I've written a lot of behind the scenes books and I've read ri- I've read a lot of movie scripts and so on. And occasionally you read the script and you're like, eh, I don't know, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't. But as soon as I read um, the f- first episode for Age of Resistance, I was like, this is probably going to be a really good show. And it was that um, the moment where Abrea meets the scroll keeper in the carriage. And I was initially like, what? You know, like they're being nice to her. But they're be, but he was being nice to her in like a very condescending, like oh good Gelfling kind of way, and like he, she hugs him, and then he kind of like brushes at his ropes like ew, you know, you got Gelfling on me. Um, and I was like, oh, that's perfect. And then, um, the part that, um, maybe I don't want to spoil it, but, um, the I my jaw just dropped to the floor was when, um. And I won't spoil how it goes down in case anybody hasn't seen the whole show. But there's a moment where Celadon um, is uh, challenged for for rulership, and she's like, "I invoke the trial by air." And I was like, "Oh, okay, this is a fantasy show. So, in a fantasy show, if they say something like the trial by air." Then the entire next episode is gonna be all about the trial by air. And we're gonna learn about its history and we're gonna learn about because that's how fantasy high fantasy shows are very big on ritual because that's part of the world building. You're like, oh the trial by air. Like the writer's not gonna come up with a name like that and not have it play out
1: yeah and then they don't that, that was and i was like i know it was, so, it was such a big surprise like, that, yeah we were like oh man wait i was ready for I this trial by stunned. air and then it just not nah, didn't happen
0: <laughs> and then it was just like and then i was like i was i remember reading it just being like wait a minute can you do that and then you know celadon's just like that nah. and i'm like oh my god i guess you can like and that's the the for for people who are on the fence about the show it's such a great show because not because it like you know overturns fantasy conventions or whatever because there's lots of fantasy it's very respectful of fantasy but but something like that moment was like I thought I knew how it was going to go down based on how these kind of stories usually go um, and then they were, and, and it really felt like the writers were like, yeah, we knew you were going to do that. So we wanted to make it fun and we came up with something that you probably weren't thinking of. And, um, and it's, it's that it's not like they're just trying to pull the rug out from under you to, to be, you know, subvert your expectations or whatever. It, it's more like they're, they're trying to just, um, they know what, you know, because they, are the same way they are also fans and so they're like well this would this seems like it would be more fun um and the show is just filled with moments like that and uh yeah you know i can't say that for everything that i've worked on like all the movies and 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 books and and stuff that i've written i I can't always give it unequivocal this is awesome uh but i can 100% give it for age of resistance i was more than uh impressed with this show and uh i am you know crossing my fingers that this isn't the end of the series
1: yeah and i mean that was the thing like originally i think when they were um you know pitching the show it seemed like that they were sort of pitching the show as sort of like as one big story like as a mini event series and um, it was interesting that they sort of you know decide to sort of dial back or you know sort of be able to expand uh more of the story like in the 10 10 episodes that we got and sort of, you know, we're definitely hoping for the best that um, that we'll get a second season, or they'll be able to conclude um, the story that we've been uh, that we've seen with the show.
0: Yeah, and they, they absolutely have plans for that because you know, in the book, um, I did uh, talk to the entire writers' room and all the people who were involved in writing, and um, and basically what you said is correct. Um, they had like twice as much story when they originally laid out the series. And then they're like, this is just too much for a 10 episode order from Netflix. So we're going to, we're going to basically cut it in half. So they, they already know what's going to happen in, in a season two. Um, And they'll probably rework that if, if the order comes through, but um, the original uh, saga or, or story for age of resistance, that they had come up with uh, went beyond uh, the point that we see in the actual show. Um, so any continuance of this is, is, uh, uh, integral and and sort of natural part of the original story that had been cooked up in the writer's room.
1: Things can always change in the writing room. And I think even in post-production, like, especially with a show like Puppets that they could actually, you know, Doing the ADR, they they can potentially like change dialogue here and there if they if they wanted to. So, which is which is really cool. Um, you know, just to keep that creativeness um going like throughout the making of the show. Did you have a like a favorite like sort of I don't know bit of trivia that we, or something that you discovered while you were writing um the book that that really like surprised you?
0: Yeah, I mean there were so many things about the the world that kind of surprised me, and 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 I think. Um, you know, part of it is, is when you do read the book, um, uh, one of the things actually that did surprise me a little bit in, in terms of, um, writing the book first and then seeing the finished show was, um, how, um, because, uh, a lot of the effects and some, there, there is some CG in age of resistance, but, but there's also a lot of puppetry that you don't realize is puppetry. And, uh, in, in this case where I was like, whoa, you know, and I was trying to figure out which parts might be CG and which parts were the original puppetry. But, um, the, uh, the Arathem, you know, the giant spiders, uh, they built the, you know, a giant spider and they were, they were manipulating it and they had, you know, 10 puppeteers to operate each one of its legs and so on. So a lot of the shots are, are puppets. Um, lore is another example. Uh, the book gets into a lot of detail about how they, uh, you know, that bunraku is a form of puppetry where it's attached to you with rods and you kind of move, you're standing behind it and then they sort of erase the, uh, the puppeteer via, you know, blue screen, uh, technology. Um, and, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of, uh, uh bits like that where you don't realize, uh, what's, actually, uh, uh, going on with what you're seeing. Um, and, uh, oh, the, uh, the worms to the, uh, the nurlocks, um, those were like, you see those and they're kind of like writhing around and stuff in, in the caves of the Grotte. Uh, and they look pretty CG and I'm sure some of the shots are CG, but a lot of them are, are not. And I remember talking to Kevin Clash about those. And they had a just a giant Nurlock that they built. And they had all these puppeteers standing around and just like shaking on it. And like it was hooked up to wires and they're like waving it around and stuff. And, you know, and they would just refilm it and they, you know, they film it again if they needed a second Nurlock. So, like, there's so many things in there where it looks too slick to be. Uh, puppeteering um, but it might actually be puppeteering (laughs) you know there's so many moments the book goes into a lot of detail on that um, and I think that's uh, you know people who who like the the series uh, and really like the characters you you know you'll appreciate the insights of like the writers and like the director Louis Leterrier about the characters and people who really like the making of or know they like to go behind the scenes and special effects Uh, there's tons of that and then people who are interested in puppets and crafting puppets and performing puppets uh we go into you know exhaustive detail on that too so um whatever your your angle is on age of resistance uh i'm hoping that we we do it right in the book
1: so i just want to say daniel thank you so much for being on the show. And I'd just like to know, how can listeners uh, find out more about your work or how they, how they can uh, reach out to you?
0: Uh, you can look up me, uh, Daniel Wallace. You can look me up on social media and, and so on. Um, I don't participate super much on social media, but uh, if you search for me on Daniel Wallace writer or something like that, you can probably find me. If you do find me uh, and you send me a DM or anything, I will absolutely respond to you. Uh, and I will follow up, um, uh, but I'm not super active, but, um, so the, uh, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance book is coming out, uh, very soon. Uh, and then, uh, I recently had a book published, um, uh, which came out a few weeks ago, uh, which is about the, uh, animated, uh, TV show Ruby, R W B Y by Rooster Teeth. And then next uh, spring I have a book coming out, which is The Art of Star Wars Rebels, uh, which is, you know, you were talking about the Clone Wars earlier, but this is Dave Filoni's sort of like a Rebellion-era uh, follow-up to the Clone Wars. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. And and hopefully uh, uh, people will be interested in that too.
1: Absolutely, yeah. can't Can't wait. So no, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you. It was great. It was a a huge pleasure. I really like talking about this show in particular. Like I just, I, it's so, it, it's so surprising. And, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not, no BS. This is like one of the most satisfying uh, projects I've ever worked on because the end product ended up way exceeding my expectations to the point where I'm like, geez, this is like, God, we should have somebody else working on this. It's too good for me. You know? <laughs>
1: Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal Podcast is a production of Three Point Edit. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.